Welcome to Pitmaster, an old Virginia smoke podcast. I'm your host, Luke Darnell. While you're enjoying this podcast, please share it out on your social media. And also be sure to like the podcast on the service of your choice. This week we have Todd Johns from Plowboys, winner of the 2009 American Royal Invitational Championship and has a very, very successful barbecue business, including a restaurant and rubs and sauces that we've all used. So please join me in welcoming Todd Johns. This podcast is brought to you by BarbecueData.com. BarbecueData.com is your one-stop shop for all of your barbecue competition data, historical data, calls, wins, placements, everything under one roof. It's a great way not only to track yourself in the standings, but also to track how you improve your scores from year to year. Listeners of this podcast can receive 20% off of a new subscription to BarbecueData.com with the code PITPOD. That's one word, all capital letters, P-I-T-P-O-D, PITPOD. So check your team scores, check on others, and do it all on BarbecueData.com. All right, we're here today on the Fitmaster Podcast with uh, Todd Johns from Plowboys. How you doing, bud? Good. How are you, man? Good. And we were just talking briefly about um, how I was like, I don't know that we've ever met in person. But now that I see your face on here, I've seen you a thousand times, guaranteed. But I don't think that we've ever officially met. So right, thanks right. for being on here. Right. You run in better circles than I do, I think. <laughs> I don't know about that. I run in a lot of circles. I don't know if any, any of them are better or anything, but uh, thanks for agreeing to be on here. You're one of the people that I've had on my list for a while. And um, you're one of the, I think one of the best stories out there. Oh, thank you. In terms of going from competition barbecue to having a successful business. And I think it's really just fascinating reading through your history and seeing how that all came about, because you did about 10 years in competition first before you started the restaurant. Is that correct? Um, we spent <clears throat> about 13 years in competition. Um, and I would say probably half of that was, you know, pretty serious. We never, I never had the opportunity really to, uh, it probably a talent to chase like team of the year and things like that. Um, you know, I always feel like, that kind of stuff it's 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 as much about your talent as it is about your ability to chase that and put in the time and I try to explain to people that are like why don't you go out and win another contest or something I'm like man you got to know that it's something that has to consume your life anything you want to do well you have to let it consume your life and if I went back out and started competing I couldn't just do it just to hang out, it would have to be like, I got to get serious. I got it. And then it, I don't have space for it, you know? And so, so we had, we had some good years and, um, you know, now I got gray in my beard. My beard all had color at the time. But restaurant, it, restaurant will do that to a brother. <laughs> that's right. So No, we had, we had some good years and I look at like everyone competing now. And I think, gosh, did, 20% of them even compete against me back in the day. Like, like so many new faces. And it's, um, I was having this conversation with someone recently. It's so cool to see there were people having their time when we started. And there were people that I looked at and was like, Oh, if we could ever be like them, that would be amazing. And then we had our time and it was crazy to have people look at you and go, man, if we could have what they're having, it would be amazing. And now other people are having their time. And, 
And uh, I just get to sit back and go, kid, you don't even know. <laughs> it's, it's cool. It's, it's kind of just the evolution. And I think you see that in all kinds of sports, right? You know, NASCAR drivers or basketball players or right. whatever. So it's cool. Yeah, it is cool. And it's, you know, I've, this is our 10th year of competing now. So, you know, we kind of started, I guess it would have been at the tail end when you guys were still hitting it pretty hard. And, uh, you know, we've kind of spanned through that that phase of barbecue and all the television shows into this newer phase and, you know, the advent of information on the Internet and <laughs> the leveling of the playing field, as everyone likes to call it, which oh, is a big deal. You know, back when we started, um, back when we started, like, I, used, I like to say we were awful for like seven years. It took us. It took us in our seventh year before we won a contest and um, we would, you know, if we got top five in anything, we were just like celebrating. And, but what was different back then? I'm talking, we started in 2001. So from 2001 to 2005 or six, there was no information out there and everyone was tight lipped. There was nobody sharing anything, no one mentoring and there were no classes, Yeah, you know, now you win a contest, you have a class on Thursday. Uh, <laughs> there was no one sharing anything. And um, what really turned the corner for us <clears throat> was Mike and Debbie Davis. At the time, they were like the winningest thing you'd ever seen. And um, they had, you know, one year they had like 19 reserve grand champions and 20 grand champions or some number. And no one had ever seen anything like that before. And, you know, now we have Brad. We just watch what Brad does and right. he wins everything. But <clears throat> so they did a class out in Lynchburg <clears throat> and it was the first class that we had ever seen, like somebody really competitive and contemporary put on a class and it was at the Jack Daniels. And so they were up on Barbecue Hill doing their class and it was, they said, we are not going to give you one recipe. We're going to give you our technique. And I mean, Tuffy Stone was there. Like we felt like we weren't even in the right building. Cause it was like <laughs> all of these at the time, Scotty Johnson was there and he was killing it at the time. And uh, Joe Amore and, you know, people that um, don't compete anymore. And, and it was all these folks. And we were like, wow, if these guys are here just for a text, a techniques class and no, recipes what does that tell you there was no information being shared unless someone took in their wing and that very seldom happened it was all trial and error and now you know you take a class you can be competitive pretty quickly and i don't think that's right or wrong i just it's different yeah it's definitely different i mean i remember when i even when i started back in 2012 just scouring that message board i mean any little thing that you could find, you were just like, Oh my God, I can't believe, you know, <laughs> yeah. believe we got to try this now. <laughs> so, so the thing that I tell the story a lot, the thing that we learned that turned the corner for us was so that the team was, and, and kind of still is whenever we do the American world stuff, it's my brother-in-law, Randy and myself. And um, we would bring out um, everything. We had a 10 by 10 tent and a, 10 by 20, 10, this is before anyone had trailers and RVs and we would set up the 10 by 10. And that's what we would work under. And the 10 by 20 was for all the people that would come out and hang out. 
Yeah. Well, right there, you're not going to win anything if you're got <laughs> a you know a tent full of people. And what we saw Mike and Debbie was not their cooking process, but kind of how they set themselves up for success week after week. And they had their RV, which was untypical back then. And they had their smoker and outside the RV was two chairs, two folding chairs. And that was it. They had nothing else set up. There might've been a spray bottle on the smoker or whatever, but there was nothing else there. And they talked about Mike would go to bed at nine o'clock. Debbie would get up at, or Debbie would light the fire at midnight and then she would go to bed and then Mike would get up at two and the fire would be lit and then he'd do his thing. It was a rhythm. It was rhythmic. And that's how you can do 30, 35, 45 contests in a year. We would do eight and we were exhausted. And from that, (laughs) we, we got rid of everything. We quit inviting people out and, um, all of a sudden that year we, we took the class in uh, March of 2007, September of 2007. We finally won our first contest. It took us 70 contests to win our first one. And then it was boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. And we had, we had three like great years, but it, it took us um, just trimming everything away. And so then when I started running a trailer and I had a little concession trailer and the big old black flamed thing. And I would set two chairs out. I would put the awning out. I, I, I drop the, you know, drop the tongue, drop the jack, uh-huh. get the awning out. And I would set two chairs out there. And I would always say, I sit in one and no one ever comes to talk to me. So that one always sits empty, but <laughs> I did it to remind myself of Mike and Debbie putting their two chairs out and that's it. And it, it kept, it was a kind of a reminder to me to keep things simple you're here for a job. You're here to do what you came here to do. Don't be messing around with, you know, potlucks and hosting these things. And that's all great. And we love those because we like to go to those, but that's not why I'm here. If I'm going to do a potluck, I'll just go rent a shelter at the park. Right. It's yeah. And it's, that's why I love Thursday nights. <laughs> <laughs> I get all of that shit out of my system on Thursday nights and it's, you know, the hanging out and the having a few drinks and, you know, but that, that's a lesson that I had to learn. And it's funny, you know, because Mike and Debbie, Mike's a future guest on this podcast, hopefully. And, um, you know, that whole nine o'clock bedtime thing, you know, I learned that from Mike Richter with Chicks, Wine and Bovine. Yeah, that, yeah. And uh, he, he pulled me aside one night and he goes, you know what? It's never going to work. I said, what? He goes, you staying up till one in the morning drinking on a Friday night. Because right. that will never ever work. Right. So yeah, I mean it's it's great advice and man, you're full of stories. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Questions or not, we can just sit here and bullshit. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> we really can. I mean, so twenty seven two thousand seven was your first win and then you win the Royal in twenty nine two thousand nine. Yeah. So so we, we always said, you know, like I said, we were, we were horrible and, and nobody knew who we were. I mean, we would go to a dozen contests a year, just in around Kansas city. And we just kind of kept to ourselves. We, we, um, we know we weren't really outgoing people, we were just kind of introverted. And, you know, what do you do? Hey, I'm Todd. I mean, it's just not our personalities. <clears throat> and, um, 
And it was really the barbecue brethren where we got to meet people. And so we always said throughout the years, we'll go to the Royal, you know, we'll go to the Royal when they invite us, which means we'll have won a contest and we get to the invitational. (laughs) It was just when you're, you know, we just didn't know a lot of people and it seemed so expensive and um, we weren't really good. So we weren't thinking we were going to win. So why, why go, why go hang out with 500 teams? You don't know really that well. And, and then it was the barbecue brethren. We started getting on there in 2006 and started, you know, interacting with people online before there was all Facebook and all this stuff. And all of a sudden we started meeting people virtually through the forums, barbecue forum and barbecue brethren. And in 2009, we said, you know, screw it. We're not going to wait till we win one. We're just going to go this year and let's try it out. And so 2007 was our first year at the Royal and literally three weeks before the Royal, it was after the cutoff for the Invitational, but three right. weeks before the Royal, we won our first contest. And I was like, <laughs> well, I guess next year they're inviting us. And so we go and show up in 2008 at our very first Invitational, second time at the Royal. Um, we had knocked out probably four GCs that year. So we were kind of on our way up. We were figuring some things out. And... Uh, uh, Andy Groneman cooked with me that year and uh, we got first in pork in the invitational right. our very first time. And it was like, you know, I don't know. It's I'm from Kansas city. So those, those trophies with the crown on top, it was like, to me, the most coveted thing, like, Oh my gosh, this would like make my entire career. If I had one of those, that was, it was such an aspiring, like wishful thing. And then here I am. Can I cuss on this thing? Absolutely. So here I am fucking up there with some crown <laughs> in my hand. And I mean, I can't tell you, I was just like, how did this happen? We're, we were so terrible for so long. How did this happen? And, and, uh, it was just wonderful. And, uh, so I, I got a crown like, man, this is it. Just I'm done. I'm done. My <laughs> this is amazing and so then so then um the next year in 2009 i mean that was our year right and so we end up getting you know the uh andy andy under our team name he was cooking with me fairly regularly at the time and on his own and he goes out and wins chest to chest the same day i win butt to butt in illinois we rack up like I don't think it was like six or seven GCs that year and a bunch like we are GC'd more than we GC'd. Like we were always that like one point away kind of thing. <laughs> and then we get to, um, and so, so in 2009, we racked all of our GCs up at the end of the year. We kept getting reserves. And so the cutoff was the 1st of August and I'm at my last contest before the cutoff in Burlington, Kansas. And I won it and I won it and Andy and I won it the year before. So it was back to back and that's what got me at the Royal. And then all of a sudden after that contest, we banged out four of them and the Royal. And so wow. uh, on the backside of the year, so I almost didn't make the invitational for 2009. It was the very last contest a week before the cutoff. I won one finally and then we get to the Royal and, and, and so that year, not only did we win the overall, but we won brisket. And so, you know, you're getting to the end and we had a chicken call, a pork call and it's just feeling good. And, and, uh, 
you know, that was enough, right? It's like, man, right. we just got two calls at our second or our third and second invitational. And it's like, man, this is great. Never did I think we'd get first and brisket, right? And so they called for first and brisket. And it was kind of like, now it's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I have two of these things. I have two of these crowns. Last year, I was just blown away with one. And so it hadn't hit me that maybe we could have won this. <laughs> so I'm standing there holding this brisket crown and, and, uh, I'm thinking, then all of a sudden it hit me, shit, we might be top three. This is wow. We might get another right. crown. And then we ended up getting first and, um, man, even up to the very end until they called reserve grand champion, I thought, wow, we're third. Oh, they just called toughy. Wow. We might be second, you know? So <laughs> a long time ago, man, that was 13 years ago, but, um, it's still a good memory and it's still the, the highlight of everything that's happened for us. And even outside of competition, it's, it's the highlight. I mean, a lot of things wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. So I always Absolutely. have said, I, I owe a lot to that walk across the dirt at the Royal. <laughs> I owe a lot, a lot. I, I would give, I would give everything back, but the trophy and the, and the crown, you know, but you can have the check back. I've made so much more than that. You know? <laughs> No, I I completely we got our first uh, royal trophy last year. Yeah, man. And, and uh, I, I was mean, there. I just, saw it. It just gave me goosebumps just even talking about it. Like it's it's just something that you just never ever will forget. And you're right. I would trade every other trophy downstairs for that one. It's um, which is silly, right? Because we're adults and <laughs> trophies. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I tell people all the time. It's like. When you're a kid, you want the trophy. When you're a teenager, you want the money. Screw the trophy. Then when you become a successful adult, it's like, ah, damn the money. Just give me a cool trophy again. Right. It's true. I'll take a plastic one, man. I don't care. (laughs) Just make sure it's cool. Well, we've talked about all this greatness stuff, but one of my favorite questions that I ask is, because I think it's a really good teaching moment for people to listen, is, do you have a favorite failure of yours during a competition where something went wrong or you did something wrong and that really set you up for success later? Uh, gosh, yeah, a lot of them. I mean, you do this thing long enough and, and enough and you just, there's lots of things that go wrong. And and then what you learn from it is um, never give up, you know? And so I think a classic one for me, is we were cooking big Creek barbecue in, in Pleasant Hill, Missouri. And I was, I was cooked on pellets. <clears throat> and so my son was entering his first kids queue competition. He was like almost six. And so I was cooking with, with Andy and um, he had chicken. I had ribs, he had pork and I had brisket. And so I said, Hey, ribs are on. They're all good. I'm going to go over and help Michael with his cook and uh, all's good. And uh, uh, Andy was the kind that never checked your shit for you either. Damn you, Andy. Uh, <laughs> and I, I didn't check the pellet hopper. And so I get back from kids queue and everything was great. And I'm like, ah, this is so much fun. And why is that pit down to, you know? And so what am I going to do? And so, um, it was like 
45 minutes left to turn in or something like that. And it needed like another hour and a half to cook. (laughs) And you just can't, you know, you can't turn a pellet cooker hot and fast. It wasn't a grill, you know? And so it's kind of like, man, what am I going to do? And, um, Jeff Spurgeon was next to us and, uh, he's like, Hey man, I got a can over here. And this was before everyone's, there was no gateways. It was, this was before everyone. Yeah. This was the can. And so he's like, I got a can over here. It's got fresh coals or he says about half good with coals. I just got finished with it. And so we, they picked it up and they brought it over to our site because we can't cook on their site. Right. So they brought the, they brought the can over on our site and we put it in there. He's like, just wrap it up and keep flipping it. Keep turning and flipping, turning and flipping. And I'm like, man, these things better get done. And then his coals go out and we got about 30 minutes left or so. And all of a sudden here comes Mark Greco with another can. All right, man, I lit you a fresh batch of coals. This one's hot to go. And <laughs> we're flipping, flipping, flipping. And we turned those things in. And I mean, it was, it was crazy. And we turned them in. Well, the short version is we won ribs that day. And when they <laughs> called, when they called pork pulling plowboys for ribs, Jeff and Andy and, and uh, Greco and I were all standing together. We just lost it because we knew <laughs> what a shit show it was. And here we won. And I mean, everybody has those stories where something went like catastrophe, right? Catastrophically wrong. And then you pull it out. And right. those are the, those are the best because you, it's like you earned it, but you didn't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, um, this wasn't really a failure, but it was kind of became a mantra for us. And for me, I actually had it as a sign in my trailer above where I would make boxes and do all my work, like right there at eye level. I had something that said, never give up on the box. And I had it printed and mounted. And, um, we were at the very first Sam's club invitational. They took the top 30 teams at the time and invited us down to Midwest city and they did a pilot. What what then became the Sam's club tournament. And man, you're there with you're you're one of 30 teams is probably never finished last ever. We never thank God ever finished last, although we were terrible for a while (laughs) and you're thinking, and then that was the talk, right? All of us are talking about one of us is going to go home to the absolute loser today. And I think everyone like was playing defense. It's like, I just don't want to be that guy. I hope I win, but I don't want to be last. Right. And um, I had my friend George Mullins come up from Texas and help me that weekend. And I said, George, I said, I'm kind of off my game right now. And I just, I just, if we can finish in the middle of the pack, I would feel really good because this is like the most loaded. This is bigger than the Jack, the Royal, because you don't get all 30 top teams together. There's always someone who's out. Right. And I said, God, if we could just finish in the middle and we had a horrible cook, horrible. I just, I think I just felt too much pressure and nothing was working and boxes. I just, and I just kept working the box and we turned them in and we finished 14th. So we finished in the middle. We met our goal. Right. And to me, that was good. But George said afterwards, he said, man, He never gave up on the box. And so that became it like for the next, you know, gosh, what was that? 2009 or 10 or something like that. Like that became the mantra that became the thing. And like, 
man. Whatever's going wrong, don't give up on that box. Your cook could have been shitty, but you can maybe fix it in the box and just don't give up. And um, can I tell one more story? Sure, man. Yeah. So, so <laughs> this was like major catastrophe. And um, I heard Mo Kason at the National Barbecue Association this week tell almost the same story that I burnt up a brisket like I had the pellet smokers going, loaded everything up, and I had a catastrophe where the pellet hopper loaded up and then, like, went. I opened up the smoker, and the inside was white. Oh, boy. Ash. So everything was just black. And then, you you know, it wasn't bark. It was coal, right? You could tap on it. It was like, tink, tink, tink. (laughs) And I'm like, holy cow, what am I going to do? And, um, you know, we, we, we took the, we took the brisket and kind of cut all the bark off because you couldn't even get through it. And then we just kind of put it in au jus and try to do whatever, like the inside was okay. Cause it almost like created a shell, like M&M or something Keep it like an M&M. Yeah. <laughs> and so once we cut the shell out from around it, blah, 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 uh, the GAB, the great American barbecue, which ended a long time ago. Uh, it was usually like 160, 180 teams. We got 12th in brisket. <laughs> and so, you know, you just, you don't give up, man. You don't give up on the box. And I think that's true with restaurants or whatever. Just, man, things could be going really, really shitty, but don't give up and it'll be okay. And you might not win, but you might get 12th place. You might get middle of the pack. It's better than losing. You might not take yourself out of the game. That's the number one yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. We uh we had a situation a few weeks ago where we put the pork in the box and I could tell just by picking it up that it wasn't done. And I looked at the clock and it was twelve fifty five and I said I just started grabbing it and she was like, What are you doing? I'm like, It's going back on the cooker for five minutes. I got five minutes, I'm not giving up on this. And uh that's something that I've learned through this podcast is uh it's never too late. You still got time. You can do something yeah. in the box. Yep. You mentioned a couple of things I want to go back to. Uh, you mentioned pressure, like being at that at that inaugural Sam's Club pilot. What do you do or what did you do in high-pressure cooks like that? Because I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with, like how they how they manage themselves. What do you do in that type of situation to keep yourself grounded? Um, I, um, I let myself be nervous. So I kind of embraced the nerves. I Saturday morning, I would have butterflies all morning. And, um, I just felt like it was almost like fear kept me sharp. Um, so, um, it's almost like, you know, when in the Avengers, when they ask, you know, banner like you know how do you keep from being angry i'm always angry i'm always angry right (laughs) like i'm always i'm always how do you keep from getting nervous i'm just always nervous so i don't know that was just kind of my thing i just learned to embrace it and um i did a lot of theater in college and stuff and so you know you're nervous but you still go out and do the job and so i just learned to kind of work with those nerves and i i kind of embraced them and was like you know, if you're nervous, at least you're paying attention, you know, fear, fear is a motivator sometimes. 
I a hundred percent agree with you. And it's not something that, you know, I've ever thought about in terms of myself as cooking. So that's something that I'm going to have to come back and address because I think I've gotten away from that. And that might be, uh, I used I was to always be- in- I was always intimidated too, right? I would see the guys, you know, the Darren Worths that just made it seem so easy, the Rod Grays that made it seem so easy. Um, and uh, I was like, man, this is hard. <laughs> I don't know how to do that, but <laughs> I better be on my game because these guys know what they're doing, you know? And so. Yeah, that's, and that's definitely, you know, it's, you just mentioned a couple of names that have been constants, you know, through through our hobby and just watching those guys cook, being next to them when they cook and seeing their mindset and seeing, you know, that's been really uh, instructive for me and, and just to see how they can go to that level mentally. So you mentioned pellet cookers. What pellet cookers were you using? Uh, FE 100s. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Those are great. And I, that leads me into my favorite, some of my favorite questions, which are about gear and stuff. You know, we all talk about smokers and stuff. Do you have tools or some purchase of a hundred dollars or less that has significantly impacted your competition barbecue life? Um, I just am not a barbecue gadget guy. Um, you know, I, you know, I don't know. I just feel like, I just feel like all of it's like most of it's a gimmick. Like oh, most of it's like yeah. some, something that some marketing person dreamed up that you really don't need. Like I I've used bear paws once in my life and I was like, what the <laughs> hell? Threw like, why do I need this? <laughs> you know? And um, I believe in <clears throat> um, remote, you know, like fireboards and, yeah, I'm a I'm a fireboard lover, and they're made in Kansas City, so that probably is part of why. But you know, something that um, I can do other things and um, and be able to still cook. Like I'm, I got so many things going on. I can't just sit around and um, you know put a probe in something every 15 minutes. I want some alarm going off, and you know, it's like pellets. Um, I still tell people cause this was my reality back when I really started cooking more at home and, um, really started cooking a lot, a lot more in general. And, you know, what do you want to do? What they'll say, what should I get? I want to get a smoker. What should I get? And my first question is, well, what do you want to do? This isn't answering a question cause I don't have a good answer for you, but, no, no. Uh, but so <laughs> I'll say, well, what do you want to do? What's your goal? Do you want, do you want to, um, sit around a smoker and tend to fire and have this very romantic experience of, you know, a, a piece, a steel drum and a wood fire and meat and seasoning. And you're sitting there stoking the fire and drinking a beer and smoking a cigar. And, and, you know, you're there for 20 hours. Is that what you want? If so, I got a recommendation and, and, or do you want to cook every day and, and you want to eat, you know, smoked grilled food every day. If that's your goal, I got another option for you. And I always tell people, you know, if you don't like pellets, just kind of get over yourself. I mean, I'm not going to debate one's better than the other. I'm going to debate if you're a home cook and you want to cook, 
do something where, you know, you're not in the driveway all Saturday long and that, and you can't walk away. You're only going to do that a couple times a year. There's no space for us to do that anymore. No space of time. Right. Right. But there is, you know, I am not a barbecue snob, never have been. I'll eat anything. Um, I've eaten a lot of bad barbecue and a lot of it was mine. And <laughs> so, um, man, I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy anything. I am not a snob when it comes to barbecue at all. And so, man, if you like it and it's something you made and you're proud of it and the people you're feeding like it, man, that's all that matters. And doesn't matter. Right. I just, I just want people cooking more and, and buying yard bird. <laughs> but no, I, I, that's the only way. It's the only way this whole thing grows is to get more people doing it. And you're not going to do it if if all you have is a stick burner and no time to do it. You know, if you're retired and that's what you want to do or whatever, that's great. You're going to do it. But most of the time, those smokers sit idle you know, unless you're competing or whatever. That's totally different. But if you're just a home cook, man, get something that you're going to cook on a lot because you're putting a lot of money into it. Yeah. Too, so. No, I agree a hundred percent. It's the Traeger is the number one thing that gets lit at this house. I mean, yeah, it's pretty much an everyday thing, whether I'm testing flavors for a contest or just making dinner. Right. It's a lot easier than <laughs> to press a button. Than to, right. And I, I push people to that all the time because, you know, you don't, you don't have time for the cleanup. You don't have time for the, for being there and now it'll tell you on your phone when it's done. Right. Okay. So when I started cooking more, my kids were really, really young and I was competing before, you know, we had the boys. And so they were really young. I didn't want to be outside the whole time. My, you know, not with my new kids. And so um, I always tell people, you go out, you push start, you make sure, you make sure there's pellets in there yep. and you push and clean and you push start, you come back in, you prep your food. By the time you go back out, it's ready to go. Like you, you want to cook every day and yep. that's the way to do it. So I always try to steer people toward pellets, not because I think it makes the best barbecue or not. I'm not even having that discussion. I'm just talking about, do you want to learn how to cook? Because, because 80% of it is, is did you cook it right? Yeah. I don't care what your flavors are. It, did you cook it right? You can learn that on anything. That's the part that's the hardest to learn is did you cook it right? That's why you, you don't start with brisket. You know, right. you start with something that's easy. You start with a pork butt or a pork loin and then maybe to a pork butt and then maybe ribs and then maybe brisket, you, you know? So you, there's learning curves. You're not going to learn you're not going to overcome that learning curve cooking four times a year in your driveway. Right. So that's my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It's the number one question. Well, how, how do I get better cooking brisket? Cook a hundred more. It's <laughs> 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 always my answer. Cook a hundred more. You'll, you'll get there eventually, but that just takes I'm, time and patience. <laughs> I'm going to steal that if you don't mind. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> when you hear the word successful in terms of barbecue, this is a tricky question because you've been the answer on this podcast to this question. No. When you hear, yep. When you hear the word successful in terms of barbecue, who's the first person who comes to mind? Um, 
Gosh. I, I Okay, so if it's business, I'm going to have to give multiple answers. If That's it's fine. business, if it's business, it's Famous Dave. Oh, um, yeah. And, and um, you know, when you know his history, you know, you know, his his life story um, and you know, his full life story. And then you just see the success of what he's created with famous Dave's and, 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 you know, the founding that, I mean, and, and being a restaurant owner, I think we look at, you know, we look at guys like famous Dave, if it's, if it's retail products, I'm looking at Dave Raymond um, who's sweet baby Ray's and there is nobody who can touch the success of Sweet Baby Ray's, except maybe, maybe Casey Masterpiece, and um, you know. So, but if you're talking competition, gosh, I, I would have given one name for a long time, and that would have been Darren Worth. And um, just because uh, there's a lot of people that have won a lot of GCs, but Darren won a lot of GCs and won a lot of world championships. Yeah. And, and I, I've known Darren for a long, long time, back when he was smoking clones, back when he maybe had one or two GCs to his name. <laughs> and, and he's an Iowa guy. I'm an Iowa guy, uh, was an Iowa guy. And um, so um, I really hate giving him credit for anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, Darren's Darren seems to me to be the guy that um, kind of did it first, where he's won all those world championships at every single stage. He's walked to every he's walked on every single major stage. Yep. And I think that's what sets him apart from a lot of people. But I think Brad, um, I think Brad Leininger is, you know, he's at the top of the game for me right now. He's won on multiple big stages. Um, he can pretty much go anywhere. And if he's not winning it, man, he's right behind you. And you better watch out if it's a two-dayer because he's got you the second day. Um, so I, I think – I mean, that is not discrediting a lot of other people and Joe sure, Pierce sure. and yourself and just a <laughs> lot of people. But, you know, I think, um, you know, when they talk about Michael Jordan – like, you know, they talk about rings, right? When they talk about Tom Brady, they talk about rings, man. Those are guys that got rings. And, um, uh, so speaking of, you know, if I don't get you today, I'm going to get you tomorrow kind of thing. Um, at the Royal 2007, uh, maybe 2008, um, Mark Greco, who, most people probably don't know anymore, which is a shame. Um, but four men and a pig, he got his ass handed to him in the invitational. And I think it was 08 or 07. It was one of those two years. Got his ass handed to him. I mean, he was like third to last in the invitational. And when we were coming up, there were two people that would win everything you know it was the joe pierce and the brads of of the day and and when those two rolled up at the same contest the rest of us were playing for third i saw it happen many times where they were first and second and it was phil hopkins smoking guns and mark grico four men and a pig 
I mean, those guys could just roll in and just kill everybody. And so Greco, the guy that could roll in and kill everybody, got his ass handed to him at the Royal in the Invitational. And he was pissed. (laughs) All looked at each other and said, man, watch out for tomorrow. And he won the Open. Wow. And it was it was the only time I've ever seen somebody like will themselves to winning the next day at that stage, right? It's back to back world championships and you got your ass handed T N one, but you're gonna will yourself to win the next one. And and I just happened to be one of the guys that, you know, was around when that was happening and and saw you know, was there when he was looking at the score sheet, pissed off. And so those of us that, you know, were hanging out that that night. That's a story we like to tell because I think all of us were like really impressed. Like there's no way I'm doing that, but he did it, you know? So <laughs> that's man, it's, a great it's, story, man. It's, it's, uh, it's fun to, you know, these are all like long memories now. It's kind of fun. You don't, you know, the, the trophies are somewhere, you know, they're in a restaurant or whatever, but these things you carry with you every day. So you don't wear your ring every day, but you, you carry these things it's kind of fun. Absolutely. So when you were competing, did you have any habits or rituals or superstitions or anything that you had to do during a competition? Mm, not really. Um, not really. I mean, <clears throat> I would kind of stick to myself a little bit. I was often a one person team. I, I always said I didn't like to, I didn't play well with others, which kind of was true. And, and I didn't like, I didn't like, uh, if you cooked with me, you were probably in my inner circle kind of a thing, not because I was secretive or anything like that, but just, man, I didn't like the noise. I, it was hard for me to focus. And so if, if we've never cooked together and, you know, maybe even if you're an aspiring competitive cook, man, you're just going to ask me a thousand questions. And I'm going to be too busy answering your questions and focusing on what I'm doing. And that burned me a few times. And man, I just, if you want to come in the trailer and chat, that's cool. I, you know, but you're not going to cook with me. I have a lot of people, man, if you ever need any help, you know, I appreciate it, but I'd rather do everything myself and wash my own dishes than to have extra noise. And so there was probably four or five people I ever cooked with. And it just was, um, I was, I was there to put two chairs out and do my job. And I wasn't there to feed people except the six judges. I wasn't there to entertain anybody. I wasn't there, you know? And so, yeah, I I don't know if I had any rituals or anything. I would usually kind of the most relaxing part of a contest for me was Friday night. I would typically, I would go out and visit, but you know, if it was just kind of a regular weekend contest, you know, I would just go in my trailer. I would, I had Sirius XM in my, in my trailer and I would turn on BB King bluesville and just run blues. So Friday night was blues music. And then, um, Saturday was, you know, like beastie boys and, ACDC and just kind of classic stuff and, you know, stuff I grew up on. And that was kind of Saturday just to kind of get juices flowing. And uh, I would just kind of hang out. And some nights on Friday night, I just bring up my 
you know, I bring a DVD or something and watch a movie on Friday night just by myself and just kind of have some downtime. It's kind of like, yep. you know, going to bed at nine or whatever. I would try to like have some downtime because I know tomorrow's going to be insane. And I know by the time I got to drive home, I'm going to be exhausted. So I tried not to, and I very seldom drank, um, you know, very seldom. So. Yeah, no, that's getting that downtime on Friday is a, is a big part of my ritual. You mm-hmm. know, I don't have to go to bed at nine, but I need to be in the rack at nine, whether I'm reading a book or listening to a podcast <laughs> or doing something. Yeah. You know, that that's a big, important thing. And you saw my music question. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Good, good stuff, though. Like I. My Friday music is generally the stuff that my wife doesn't like because she normally doesn't show up till Friday night. So Led Zeppelin, Beatles, things like that, that yeah, she, yeah. she had enough of growing up. She's like, no. And I'm like, okay, yeah. that's my, that's my Friday jams then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like blues music because it really, you know, it was, it was so broad and eclectic. It wasn't the top 40 stuff you've heard a million and a half times. And so I would, sit and kind of get exposed to some maybe some new stuff i hadn't heard so it was just kind of an enjoyable way to spend friday night on saturday music was just to put you in a zone and in a mood and in a a focus and so yeah i i always liked um you know my trailer was um you know just kind of set up the way i like to work and i think a lot of cooks are like this like um you just understand the flow of your setup whether it's under a tent or whether it's kind of partially in a trailer or on a deck with it under an awning you know you just kind of set up your same flow every time <clears throat> and i think that's really important because <clears throat> i i came from it and um you know, when you, when you're troubleshooting something, you don't just start from scratch. And, you know, like when you're developing a recipe, you don't go, well, that doesn't, isn't quite right. I'm going to do something completely different. Right. You take one thing out, (laughs) you know, and you, you kind of, you know, make things really simplistic and you, you want, so if something's working, you want to keep the things that are working and shed the things that aren't. And so my environment was kind of like that, where, you know, hey, this flow is working for me. This tool where I place things, I'm now getting ready to trim chicken. So this is going to be here and that's going to be there so that my movements were all kind of like familiar. Otherwise, you're just making it up every time you go to do this. And I wanted to have, I wanted to have the same rhythms, the same music, the same setup, um, and not just have something completely different week after week. So I think that's really a key for success is, figuring out what works for you and then do that every single time um, so that your movements are familiar and your timings are familiar and constant because if you're going to be successful and do this 40 times and not kill yourself, you kind of have to have that. And what, one of the things that really helped me was um, trimming things. I would almost test like, okay, my ribs are 11 steps. What if I take one out? Oh, guess what? That didn't matter. I'm not going to do that anymore. Right. Instead of, I got to the point where I quit wrapping. Um, I quit um, using apple juice. I would spritz with water and not wrap, which was totally wow. different than what everyone else was doing. But I was a one person team. And my, my philosophy was I can do these five steps 
um, better than I can do the 11, right? I can make sure those five steps get done right every single time versus having 11 to do. So the more I could, the more I could cut out, the better. And that included the stuff I was bringing to the contest. It wasn't even just the cooking process. It was like, what if I got rid of one of my two chairs or what if right. I got rid of <laughs> like, would you know, that's an extra step now that I can, can get rid of and focus on something else. I can take that same energy and put it into making sure the brisket's done right or whatever. So I tended to try and do less than more, make things simpler than more complex. And that really helped, especially when you're a one person team. Yeah, no, that's great advice. So another thing that I always say, and it's from this podcast is it's always better to take something away than it is to add something. So yeah, yeah. Generally going to make a better product. Well, man, for two guys that have never met before, we certainly did a good job. <laughs> Let's get into these uh, rapid fire questions here before we wrap up. All right. What do you see about barbecue on social media that upsets or bothers you? Well, I think I just went off about it about two weeks ago. And that's when someone says, you know, as a restaurateur and and this is not just barbecue. It could be Italian food, right? Oh, I could do a better brisket in my backyard. And I just want to say, well, of course you can. So can I, but right. you're doing, you're not doing a hundred, you know, you're not doing <laughs> it seven days a week. You haven't been, you're not doing it 363 days a year or 362 days a year. Like, come on, man. Like, of course you can. You want to go mano y mano? Like, you want me to bring a brisket to your backyard and I'll cook beside you? You know, it's like, come on. Um, I think, yeah, that, that stuff gets my goat every time. But, but it doesn't, it doesn't. Like, I get it and it's fine. It doesn't bother me. I just want to have the conversation. I want to take that person and just shake them and go, do you realize how ridiculous you sound? Right. You know, it's... <laughs> It's uh, it doesn't it doesn't make me upset. It 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 just I think it's more comical than anything. And uh, you know, if you're in this business, you you generate a pretty thick skin to things pretty quickly, uh, pretty <laughs> quickly. So that's one thing that I I you know, as a restaurant owner, <clears throat> like, well, of course you can cook a better brisket at home. You're doing one, and you got right. nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite? pre during or post competition meal no not really um not really okay no i I have traditions like a lot of people do that way yeah did you do you have a favorite present that you like to give the people oh no no no. i did for the longest time um (laughs) i would bring pringles and pringles were like I would bring a couple tubes of different flavored Pringles and just kind of like have different ones each time. I kind of get in a Pringle kick for quite a while. See, that's, that's important. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's See, definitely it's... better than Donnie Teal's Tijuana mama sausages from the gas station. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> um, <laughs> what uh, do you have a favorite present that you like to give to people? Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, three pack of my rubs and sauces, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, because I think it's a nice, you know, it's a personal gift. It's from me and sure. And, uh, yeah. and, and, you know, so yeah, I like, yeah, that's, that's it. That's awesome. All right. Last question. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, 
getting a message out to millions of people, what would it say and why? Um, other than don't give up on the box, which wouldn't <laughs> resonate with anybody except competition people. Um, you know, I would say, <laughs> I would say that we're better off for all that we let in and that, um, you know, uh, we just need so much more kindness in this world, in this country. And we just need some damn kindness. And, um, uh, I, I spend time with people that have like beliefs and opinions and things that I do. And I spend a lot of time with people that are exact opposite. And I'm, they're as much brothers to me as those that agree. And I just think, man, um, we don't have to agree on stuff to um, be brothers and sisters in this thing, you know, especially like barbecue people, man, we're just so, it's just a special, special community. And so, I don't know, we're just better off for the things we let in versus, you know, um, keeping things out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. 100%, man. 100%. I 100% agree. More kindness would go a mm-hmm. long way. <laughs> long way. Long way. Well, Todd, tell people where they can find you, whether it's online or in person and your products. And, uh, man, I've really had a great time talking with you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, we'll have to meet in person someday. <laughs> Absolutely. Next time I'm in Kansas City. All right. Sounds good. Um, I'm making a point. Well, well, we've got we've got uh, restaurants in in Kansas City at Twelfth and Main downtown, um, and then Blue Springs on the east side of town. Uh, we've been there eight and a half years, downtown seven years, um, and then uh, we've been at Arrowhead Stadium, uh, four concession stands. We were the exclusive barbecue of Arrowhead last year, um, and so uh, that's where you can see us. And then you know we're just do a Google search and you can find us Amazon everywhere. Um, We don't sell anything direct except in the restaurants, like everything's to retailers. We've really, that was a strategy long ago. We Yardbird just turned 15 years old in January. And so when I first made that um, in January of 07, like 07 was like just a big origin year for us or something. It's crazy. All the things that happened that year, but I, I did the math and I was like, if I sell 425 shakers this year, I'll break even. Now we do over a hundred thousand just a year, right? That's good. hundred thousand pounds a year. So, um, so yeah, so you can, you can find us at all kinds of retailers. We're in, we're in 20 countries, three continents, and that's just the 20 countries we know of. Some of them that blow me away are like Tasmania, New Caledonia, which is a <laughs> French island off of Australia, um, New Zealand, you know, so all that Australia area is a big, big market for barbecue. Um, and we're fortunate to be one of the people that are in that market. And then um, Amon Jordan, we found out there's a barbecue wow. retailer that has a bunch of us kind of common top brands over in Amon Jordan of all places. That's awesome. And, um, Dominican Republic. And so this little competition team that sucked for so long, (laughs) all of a sudden has, you know, our products and logo and brand and name in other parts of the world. It's gosh, it's crazy. Um, 
but it's been yeah. so much fun. 21 years of this, we've been doing this. So that's why, that's why you're the answer to that question sometimes. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, Todd, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. All right. You bet. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to Pitmaster, an old Virginia smoke podcast. Be sure to subscribe and like the podcast, rate the podcast, and to share it out with your friends. Also, be sure to check out the Old Virginia Smoke TikTok as well. Old Virginia Smoke, one word. That's all you have to search for. It's hilarious. Tune in next week for another great episode of Pitmaster. For companies interested in advertising, please contact Old Virginia Smoke directly via www.oldvirginiasmoke.com. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is edited by Chris Sedanka. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is a property of Old Virginia Smoke, LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright 2022.